0: Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord.
1: The scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our
2: scripture reading continues in the second chapter of Luke with verses 15 through 20. I invite you to take out your pew Bible. You may need them a little bit later. You'll find this on page 833 of the New Testament portion. although you may already know this part of the story by heart we pick up with the shepherds out in the field and when the angels had left them and gone into heaven the shepherds said to one another they couldn't stop talking let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place which the Lord has made known to us so they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, this familiar story, may we hear it anew. Would you speak to us through your Holy Spirit from the words of Scripture? And may the meditations of my heart and the words be acceptable to you our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. Well, you know these Scripture passages. You've heard them before. It's, they tell the treasured, familiar story of Christmas. There it is, in Duplo Live, <laughs> with our children knowing the story by heart. Our boys and girls know the story. Ten days ago I was interested to read an article by the chief television critic for the New York Times and he praised this very account from Luke's Gospel. He was writing about his favorite TV classic, The Charlie Brown Christmas. He called it as close to poetry as television gets. And I was particularly fascinated because the author wrote that he was a non-practicing secular Jew. And yet, he called it poetry. And although he doesn't believe in the biblical message, his favorite part, maybe your favorite part, my favorite part, the speech. The part after Charlie Brown has made a disastrous mess. In his attempt to direct the school Christmas pageant, he despairs over the crass materialism of the holiday, over his really poor choice of the most anemic Christmas tree in the lot. And he pleads for someone to tell him what Christmas is all about. Enter Linus, dragging his blanket, sucking his thumb, he stands on a spotlighted stage and with Vince Guaraldi's jazz soundtrack in the background, Linus recites a section from Luke's Gospel. That same one that we read this morning. The part about the angels proclaiming to the shepherds the coming of a savior, Christ the Lord. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And he's right. That is what Christmas is all about in all of its bold simplicity as our children saw and as you watched on. The story so familiar that even a secular TV critic readily recognizes the fact that this is Christmas. The story about the inn, the manger, the shepherds. This story has been told so frequently and so often and we know it so well that it can be difficult even for believers to catch the full poignancy of what is going on because for all its familiarity the profound world altering message in Luke's text can easily be missed beginning with the very first verse. In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus there's a message and the message it sends is this the scene is not mellow it's not a bucolic story about some shepherds tending their sheep with little or no care beyond the possibility of a wandering wolf the setting is rather that of a people who are living under an oppressive Regime. Caesar Augustus is more than a date location, a a timestamp for the story. When Caesar Augustus came to power in the decades before Jesus birth, he turned what had been an already great Roman Republic into a world dominating empire. And he was at its head. He proclaimed that he had brought justice and peace to the whole world a piece brutally enforced by legions of Roman centurions but never mind that Roman poets wrote songs about the new era that had begun with Caesar Augustus Roman historians told how the story of Rome's rise to greatness reached its climax with none other than Caesar his birth was heralded as good news on shrines and monuments and you may know that The Greek word for good news, which we sort of transliterate as evangel or gospel. The Greek word for good news is the same word. The good news about the emperor's birth is the same word that the New Testament used to speak of the good news of Jesus' birth. People called Augustus the savior of the world. He was its king, its lord, if you will. Everyone in the empire was familiar with the Gospel of Caesar Augustus. Bethlehem was a small village about six miles south of Jerusalem. It still is. Its most famous resident was none other than the great King David the youngest son of Jesse, who was chosen by God through the prophet Samuel to be Israel's king. You may not remember this story quite as well as this morning's text, but if you do remember it, when Jesse paraded his many, many sons before the prophet, he had to call David in from the fields where he was tending his father's sheep. And David became the great shepherd king of Israel and before he died God promised David that there would always be a line of kings of Israel that descended from him over the centuries of no king of occupation government and then a puppet king by the name of Herod and his offspring that were not according to the line of David but according to the vote of the Roman Senate the the people and the prophets began to look forward to a future a king that would be anointed from the line of David just as God had promised David back some thousand years before and the prophet Micah actually names the town of Bethlehem as the place from which this Davidic king, the promised one will come Luke is making an unmistakable point in this story the birth of this little boy is the beginning of a confrontation there is a new king in the kingdom of God and it appears weak insignificant vulnerable there's a contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the world Caesar is sovereign over the grand empire he has conquered it he is the ruling hero and he has issued a decree the emperor wanted to count every last one of his subjects not just to know how many there were but in order to inventory the wealth of the empire the people the animals the crops his goal tax them to the maximum and so historically we, we know that a census usually was followed by a period of even greater poverty than before it, exploitation and not infrequently it was accompanied by rebellion. The census included this one was the whole Roman world it included the population of the tiny backwater province of Judea. Which is where our story is set Joseph friends was required to go to Bethlehem not sure he wanted to he was accompanied by a very pregnant Mary there would have been serious consequences if they'd refused and it didn't matter that Mary was pregnant likely traveling against whatever medical advice was available her husband had been born in Bethlehem and by law they had to go there to register along with lots and lots of other people so many that when they got there there wasn't any place for them to stay because of everyone else from out of town the emperor the governor they could not have cared less that there was a young mother who was pregnant under the strangest circumstances And Luke doesn't provide us with much detail, only that while they were there registering, the baby arrived. Space at such a premium that they had no place to put the child except a feeding trough, which is what a manger is. Given these circumstances, the setting of the shepherds keeping their flocks at night is much less tranquil and romantic than when Linus... Recites his soliloquy to Charlie Brown. The shepherds live out in the fields. They suffer all kinds of deprivations, even dangers. And now the the census threatens a new peril a wolf more dangerous than any four legged creature, an all powerful wolf who might decimate their flock and whom they are unable to fight oppressive taxes oppressive Roman armies it's not difficult to imagine the talk of such shepherds as they sought to stay awake through the night watch venting anger frustration fear talk that if the authorities would hear it they would see it as potentially subversive even rebellious indefinitely punishable and it is that scene perhaps silent but not as peaceful as we might tend to depict it it's this scene where an angel suddenly appears before the shepherds and it terrifies them the fear is hardly a surprise if you live under a dictatorial regime you live with the awareness that at any time brutal repression can come crashing down on you the shepherds had no Virtually no civil rights, their class was looked down upon, among other things their testimony was considered invalid in legal proceedings. They were next to nothing. And even if they were not being conspiratorial, they were suspect. And then suddenly there's this bright light and an unknown person stands before them. They're fearful not only because they don't know what's going on, but because they knew that anything could happen to them in the middle of the night with dire consequences and then the scene takes this unexpected turn when the angel tells them not to be afraid that he's bringing news of great joy for all the people the birth of a child a savior who is the Messiah or Christ the Lord immediately The title savior sets off a bell to call Jesus savior places him into into direct conflict with Caesar Augustus who claimed for himself in official propaganda that he was savior of the common folk and savior of the world there's an official document it still exists in some ancient uh, inscriptions called the deeds of the divine Augustus and it lists at great lengths all of his accomplishment and includes the idea that the Emperor is a savior who inaugurated a new and propitious age of peace order prosperity fulfilling the longings of humanity these litanies were inscribed on large monuments throughout the Empire and they ascribe to Caesar these titles son of God savior bringer of peace hope and good news gospel and these are all attributed by Luke to the newborn child Jesus God's alternative to Roman Emperor worship contrary to Imperial propaganda news of the true Son of God and Savior of the world the ultimate good news of great joy is not contained in a decree of Caesar but in the divine proclamation from heaven by the angels the Savior is not mighty Augustus in Rome, but an infant lying in a manger in the little town of Bethlehem, the city of David. The shepherds are given this sign this newborn baby, Savior, Messiah, Lord, would be found swaddled and lying in a manger. And so they're summoned from the fields, summoned like David the shepherd who was brought forth from the fields when he was anointed king these shepherds are to come to the manger to share the good news that has been told to them by the angel this news was not given in palace halls but in the fields to the poor and lonely and the news comes first don't you love it to shepherds Those considered unfit for legal testimony are the witnesses to the angels' message. They're the ones who then bear witness to Mary and Joseph of the full identity of this, what they knew was a special baby, but they didn't know the whole story until the angels told them, as well as to those in Bethlehem. We read it in the text, beginning in verse 16. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. A humble birth. A humble birth announcement. The Savior is not the mighty Augustus in Rome, but an infant lying in a feeding trough in the little town of Bethlehem. city of david so many stark contrasts in this story both caesar and christ are called savior caesar delivers a decree the angels make a proclamation caesar enrolls the entire roman world and for many it was ominous christ's birth is a great joy for all people both caesar and christ deliver good news both promised peace Caesar says I will bring you fond hopes for the future Jesus we know came to bring an everlasting kingdom and best of all Joseph and Mary's journey to Bethlehem is that on the one hand the immediate consequence of Caesar's almighty command he issued a decree but at a deeper level Even the universal rule of the all-powerful emperor is subordinate to the purposes of God. Caesar's decree is the occasion for the promised Messiah to move from where he was in Mary's womb in Nazareth to the city of David in Bethlehem. Luke's story tells of how Rome is ironically made to serve a still greater sovereign, the Lord on high. Augustus has never heard of Jesus of Nazareth but within a century or so his successors in Rome had not only heard of him they felt so threatened they were taking steps to obliterate his followers and within just three centuries the Emperor himself became a Christian. History proves that the angels message was the accurate one the humble birth of a king has proven to have outlasted all of the Roman empires despite Caesar's claim to be the savior of the world and bringer of universal peace. We need to look at three words as we finish. The first, savior. It's the first of three titles that the angels tell us belong to the Bethlehem baby and we've talked about that. The second title is Messiah. It's Greek equivalent, Christ it means anointed and in ancient israel kings and priests were anointed as a sign of divine approval and of their authority centuries of foreign oppression led many to expect and hope for a special anointed one a messiah who would free israel from its difficult situation and by the time of jesus this had developed into the expectation of A final Messiah, one anointed by God to bring in God's reign once and for all. And final victory of Israel over all its enemies. That was the expectation as Mary and Joseph made their way to David's city in Bethlehem. And the angel's message declares that the child in the manger is in fact the one who will fulfill all the promises made to Abraham and his Jewish descendants, that he will restore the throne of King David and do away with all oppression and injustice. But the good news of the angel claims far more, declaring that the child who is born today is not only Savior, not only Messiah, he is also Lord. You may know that the word Lord is the word the Bible uses to refer to the name of God himself it's reserved for God Luke's savior and messiah is not one more among the long line of saviors liberators and anointed ones that people had hoped for he is nothing less than the Lord God Savior Christ Lord and so the angelic announcement combines power, combines power and weakness. The angels assigned to the shepherds is a child lying, lying in a feeding trough. This is no potentate born to a human throne. It is a child lying amidst livestock in a manger. The testimony of the shepherds results in three responses. In verse 18. If you want to look in your uh, Bibles those who heard the shepherds testimony were amazed at the news that the long-awaited Messiah the Lord had been born in verse 20 the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God and in between these descriptions of excited amazement and praise we find verse 19 Mary's response She isn't amazed. She isn't glorifying and praising God. Luke tells us that by contrast, she treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. What does that mean? Various translation options from the Greek suggest that Mary ruminated, wrestled with the news. And she pondered the words in her heart. She scrutinized them for correct understanding in other words mary takes in all that has happened to her from the announcement of her pregnancy by the angel to the birth in bethlehem and the message of the shepherds from the angels she takes all of this and lives with it and she doesn't let it go because it takes time for hope to mature As you read through the Gospel of Luke Mary becomes a model for faith she takes things slow and she doesn't let them go until she has taken it all in I wonder if maybe this Christmas it isn't easier for you and certainly for me to relate to Mary's pondering than to the shepherds elation with the situation in israel and gaza unclear stalemate in ukraine so many other places of conflict with polarized politicians and politics creating ever more stark fault lines and then you add into these national and international concerns whatever personal concerns you have your job your relationship not exactly what you hoped it all might be Maybe your health is increasingly tentative. If that's where you are Mary's model of pondering what God is up to in your life and taking time to figure out what God is up to might be appealing. But regardless of where you find yourself this year. I hope that in hearing anew the story of Jesus birth you will treasure and ponder this startling contrast of the humble ways in which God enters our world with the grandeur and earthly power of empire and that wherever you came from you'll return to that place praising God for what you have heard and seen even as you ponder what it means for the future trusting that in time God will make it clear. See, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you, this day, in the city of David, is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. Let us pray. Come anew, Lord Jesus. May we make room May we be prepared, and may we ponder what you are doing and have done until we can fully appropriate it by faith. In Jesus' name we ask this, amen.
0: We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprez.org. That's nationalprez.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.